Welcome to Below the Line, where we talk about working in Hollywood from the crew perspective. My name is Skid. I'm a former assistant director and your host. Welcome to week two of our Oscar coverage. This episode, we're talking about the year's nominees for production design. Let's meet my guests. Sam Lysenko, you've been a production designer for 15 years. Recent projects include Judas and the Black Messiah and Kajillionaire. Welcome back. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. Carrie Weeks, you've been working in the art department for more than 30 years, and you've been a full-time lead man for the last seven. Currently, you're working on Love Life Season 2. Good to see you. Thank you. Tastes good. And then finally, Regina Graves, you've been a set decorator for going on 25 years, and you were an Oscar nominee for last year's The Irishman. Currently, you're working on The Gilded Age. Glad you could join us. Thank you for having me. You know, let's just dive right into these. We'll discuss the nominees in alphabetical order, and this is your spoiler warning. First up, The Father. Production design, Peter Francis. Set decoration, Kathy Featherstone. What do you guys think? It's, it's, a, tough, it's a tough movie to, to watch. Um, I, I, I found myself, uh, I watched it twice for the purposes of this podcast, and I found myself um, questioning whether or not minute set decoration changes had been made, which hadn't uh, really occurred. And I was hoping for a little bit of more of that because I thought that there was an, a sort of a missed opportunity to subject the audience to um, uh, micro changes that would be unsettling. Um, but I think overall, it's an incredibly effective use of a space, especially since there's this kind of dynamic shift in perspective over the first 30 minutes of the movie where you, where you as participant believe it's his space and then the the slow realization that it's actually not his apartment in general was was kind of more effective for me than some of the um the physical uh layout changes later on when when the actual geometry of the space changes i thought that that was really effective and I, and that, i think there was some uh really subtle lighting differences that that helped accentuate that shift over the over the first third of the movie did you say you, there weren't small uh, set dressing changes? There weren't the way that I was hoping. You know, I found myself pausing in the kitchen shots to see if they had changed the color of the backsplash tile, that kind of thing. Right. And they didn't, uh-huh. they didn't do that. There were, you know, no. there, there are definitely moments in the movie where pieces of furniture are missing. Um, and right. there are usually... things were added like on the windowsill. And yeah, kitchen. exactly. And that's, that stuff is usually um, addressed in, in expositional dialogue, but I, I was, it may have just been me in the mode of escaping in the fiction. I was starting to think, are they actually moving everything around, uh, which they hadn't been doing. So it's effective, but also it kind of left me wanting a little bit more. But they did change the, the, the kitchen. They, it first started out with like a brown kind of tiled backsplash with did it and then powder. and then yeah. it was blue and then it was yeah, yeah then it was like a, it was like a wooden uh you know in the beginning it was a wood cabinet and then i mean cause that's what i that's when i really started noticing that oh wow they're in that same they're in the same space oh then it was then it must have been more effective than i yeah. thought yeah no, no no it wasn't even <laughs> no that, that's when i thought that you know i i didn't get the whole you know the, the daughters being different the characters until the end mm-hmm. um but yes, the kitchen was subtly changed in the, be- in the, in okay. the beginning. It started out as a wood, you know, wood cabinets, and then it then it turned to, um, you know, the, the kind of like the blue backsplash and like the mm-hmm. real modern kind of thing. Um, yeah, actually, the first uh, version of the kitchen I thought was an excellent look of a of a mid seventies renovation. Yeah. And I thought, oh, okay, this this is Anthony Hopkins' apartment, mm-hmm. and that's 
the renovation he did back in the 70s and mm-hmm. it's still living today and then the next time we saw it it was this new more modern version uh, one of the things i want to point out was the um how the the paint hues changed between earlier when it was more of a more warm taupe colors on the walls and the and the pillows and the soft goods and then mm-hmm. it all shifted to the a more blue tone and the walls were different colors and I, and i and i loved that and then when he went to the i guess it was a doctor's office with his daughter and I noticed even there, there were similarities in the doctor's office, like the moldings, the floor moldings were the same. The chair rail was the same. The The parquet floor was the same as well, the apartment. That, that, that initial reverse back onto the front door of the doctor's yeah. office is, yes. is shocking. Yeah. 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 I mean, where is he? Is it, he's back. Which apartment is this? And then mm-hmm. it's like, oh, no, it's uh, I found that disorienting for me which I loved how then it makes you think how disoriented, you know, the Anthony Hopkins character must be. Yeah. It, and I have to agree know. with you, Kerry. I, in the beginning, how you thought it was his apartment, everything was much warmer. The furniture was um, like his sofa was a, was a, a gold kind of velvet. Everything seemed kind of plush and comfortable. Yeah. And then as it went on and it was the daughters for me, like even like when they were having um, dinner in the dining room, the chairs looked very, modern and, and uncomfortable and everything just seemed yeah cold and yeah the the transition like it didn't into, fit him yeah sort of like a crate and barrelly very contemporary yeah. home stuff was really that that trans transitory stuff was really nice i thought mm-hmm. um and that, that wall color at the beginning is like a it's like a parchment and then by the end it's this like earthy uh you know she's also wearing the blue shirt all the time it just yeah. turns a very cold environment yeah yeah so as far as production design goes, I love it when the actual production design becomes uh, integral to the, to the story and the plot. And, and it's not just a, a mere backdrop uh, like it is in some of the other movies where I, mean, I know in every case that's the, the desired goal is the production design. It becomes integral to the story, but uh, in in the the father it really is you know you you remove that element and you remove a huge part of the the emotional power of the movie and i think that's much more prevalent in in the father than it is in some of the other nominations it occurs to me that the movie being based on his play um, certainly with some of the acting and the shift of those characters, I could see how that would work on stage. But the production design in a stage show would be very much uh, limited compared to what you can do shooting the feature. And it seems to be an area where, to your point, and what you guys have summarized, you could, the production design can really step up as an integral part of the story in a way that would have been difficult in the stage. Do you guys have thoughts about interpreting that? I, I don't I don't know to what extent they made adaptations for the stage version. I'd be I'd be very curious to see um, if it was more of a, a, a lighting driven dynamic or if it was something integral to the actual build. Would you say that was in the movie? That was definitely a set, though, right? Those were all sets. Um, there's I, I believe it's all a set. There's one over 
of Olivia Coleman looking out the kitchen window to an apartment downstairs that they probably had to do practically. But there's, there was also kind of a consistency in the quality of aging that felt sort of scenic to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was nothing in particular. It's, it's kind of problematic because I think the decoration, especially when it's, when it's clear it's her apartment, feels very kind of generic TV set, which I think is an intentional decision. Um, but it didn't feel like there was a consistency of character in the architectural details that made it feel like a, an adaptation to a real space. And then on top of that, when there are these elements later on in the movie where d- walls reveal hospital spaces and things like that, I think inherently it must have it must have been uh, it must have been a stage. Also, there's very little connective tissue to exterior stuff. And when we do see windows, they're blown out. Um, so mm-hmm. I, I, I would bet my bottom dollar it's probably a stage. The real question is, did they build multiples of the, of the living room or redress? Yeah, I wonder. Yeah, I was thinking <laughs> about that. <laughs> I, I hope they built multiples just for the, uh, for the decorator and the set dressers. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll tell you, that must have been a nightmare for the script supervisor, that movie. I mean, oh there's, that, there's one, scene, the one scene where he overhears the two of them talking about committing him and then we go through the entire sequence of the chicken dinner. The chicken is brought back into the kitchen. He goes to retrieve mm-hmm. the chicken and then relives the exact same conversation again. And I believe that there's some lighting changes and dressing changes baked into that sequence. Yeah. Like that, that was mind numbing. Um, yeah. So I can't imagine having to keep track of that on set was, was probably more akin to what it would be like to do a commercial or something where they just had to have like the hit points must have been on a board or something. Let's move on to our next nominee, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Production design, Mark Ricker. Set decoration, Karen O'Hara and Diana Stoughton. I, I thought this was a beautiful film. I, I think it was a, a little um, oversaturated and it, was, it detracted from, maybe oversaturated and, and, and heavy handed with the scenic work. And so it detracted from how powerful the individual performances was because I felt like you were watching this incredibly well manicured tapestry. Um, but overall I thought it was really effective. I also thought that the brick work um, there's so much brick in the music, the music rehearsal room. Um, and some of it just kind of felt like foam, but I thought in general it was a, it, the palette was really beautiful. The problem I had with the movie and it, it's not to blame the design on the, on the film at all is that um, these period pieces right now seem to be plagued. And I think Mank had the same exact problem where once the film gets to post and the abilities of CG artists are limitless, we're being subjected to these um, expositional wide sweeping shots of streets that feel so unrealistic because in the context of the period in which these movies take place, no, no camera operator worth his snot would have framed things that way. So they just feel, they don't feel real. It feels like some kind of comic book version of a 1920 story. I thought Mank, the, the same thing happened to Mank when we have these, these wide shots of, of Hollywood stages and you see the, the Hollywood land side of the background. It, it just doesn't, it, it, for me, it pulls me out of this environment, even if we're then going to spend the rest of the movie in this interior space. I think, you know, early on in, um, in these CG action movies, like uh, Fast and Furious or something, uh, all of a sudden the sky was the limit. 
with what you could do in post. So you'd have a shot where the camera went in the tailpipe and through the manifold into the engine block and out the carburetor <laughs> and through the dashboard and onto Vin Diesel's face. And I feel like with these period films, because it's, it's becoming less expensive to do so, we're kind of experiencing the same thing again, where it's like, well, let's see all of Chicago, 1925. And it, I just, don't, I, I want to, I, I want to engage in the fiction. I don't want to have to be subjected to some fictional world interpretation of, you know, some grandiose statement. It's not necessary for the film. So I thought, I thought that, that as a couching medium at the beginning of the movie was, was a little hurtful for what the rest of the movie wound up becoming. I, I think I agree with you on that, Sam. I, uh, I feel like for those broad sweeping shots, you know, less is more one to, to set the scene, or as you say, to see all of Chicago in 1920s or whenever that was supposed to be. But um, I, I really love the textural quality of that film though. Uh, you could just feel everything about it the, the splinters in the wood and the, the, the recording studio was a phenomenal set that yeah, that yeah. set was gorgeous with the cantilevered recording booth up high and that was just absolutely stunning mm-hmm. yeah and and the costuming was also just I, I so wanted to be there i so wanted to like go back to that time and i so i really appreciate um that kind of design that makes you want to inhabit the space or makes you feel like you're inhabiting it. I, I also think that it's a, it's a prime example of, of a kind of an underrecognition of how sci- sound design can really um, help buttress production design because there are moments in the film where, you know, when he's closing the sound baffling on the windows and stuff where you hear these dynamic shifts in exterior audio, the spill of Chicago street mm-hmm. noise. And it, it really helped that set sing, you know. Um, mm-hmm. there, there was even watching it from a critical perspective of, knowing I'm going to have to talk about it on this thing, it still felt subconsciously like a real environment in Chicago where I'm, where it's living and breathing. And I think to that extent, um, it was in- incredibly effective, but that I, I really, really liked that recording studio. It was a little less crazy about the, the rehearsal space, but. Yeah. I have to agree. I really liked the, that uh, movie a lot. I love the look of it. I love all the colors, the use of the colors in all the different spaces. I loved uh, the exterior sets. I thought felt real to me. That alleyway was awesome. Yeah, the, uh, yeah, the alleyways and the especially in and, front. Yeah, yeah, everything just looked good. It didn't look too proppy. It, it looked real. It looked, um, and it also brought me back. I felt like I was watching an old time, you know, movie from years ago. Not, not watching it now being made. Yeah, but that, but that's I thought, the, I thought it looked great. That's the thing I mean is like it like the stuff in the alley and immediately outside where the where the car where the police officer is giving her a hard time about the car and everything that felt more akin to what old Hollywood movies would have had to do in that scenario because they would have been on the Warner lot like you know man, man with the golden arm that thing takes place in a half a block radius because that's where the stage ends and so I think that. Um, subconsciously that's baked into our viewing experience of how we interpret old movies. So when, so when camera pans and you can see all of Chicago, all of a sudden for me, it, it no longer feels right. You know, it, w- it would have been so beautiful if it was restricted just to that little space, but that, yeah, that alleyway was awesome. That the immediate area. And also there was some fantastic sign work. I was going to uh, say that the graphics, the signage, oh my just gosh. everything, it, it all just fit together. Yeah. The, st- yeah. the storefronts everything. were awesome. Yep. Yeah. It was almost a shame that they spent so much time in that rehearsal space because uh, there wasn't a whole lot visually going on in there. Mm-hmm. And um, 
Yeah, and, and listen, the dichotomy in the August Wilson play of up high and down low, like it makes sense. I get it. Mm-hmm. it. It was an integral part of of character development, but I think it cinematically it was a bit of a bear to spend that much time in that room. Yeah. When a movie does not have a lot of sets, when there's just a limited number of, of rooms where we're going to spend the bulk of the time, when you're working in production design, does that sort of up the pressure as far as, um, you know, being concerned about every detail or just knowing that you're going to spend that much time there, you give it a different sort of attention or is it just one less set? Um, I, I kind of shifts the onus of responsibility. I think it becomes more about clear communication in the preparatory period and then maintenance as opposed to day-to-day problem solving when you're in the field. You know, you can absolutely devote more consideration to um, a space that you're going to spend more page count in. But it, it, it's also a sliding scale because it's like when you're trying to budget out a thing, if you know you're going to be in this one place for a week, then you're, it's an easier draw to try to convince the line producer to allocate more resources to that individual week anyway because the crew is going to be there standing around. So you wind up having expanded resources a lot of the time anyway. So it's, it's less about... Um, sometimes it's less about the creative and more about the politicking to preserve the level of intention. And it's just where in the schedule that that that's going to fall. I think personally. I'm glad you brought up maintenance because when you are in this space for uh, a long time, the set takes, takes a beating and it, it feels like it's um, you're trying to hold back the, the dam with your finger, you know? <laughs> so uh, it's a good point. And uh, yeah, yeah uh, in the end, these are any space, even a real live space takes a beating when a crew is in there for a week or longer. And then if it's a built set, you know, these things just aren't made to stand up for mm-hmm. repeated use. And uh, yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, and then on top of that, what winds up happening some of the time is that the, the, the producer's, assume that because it has been committed to film on day one that the level of um, consideration is alleviated on day six and what actually winds up happening is everybody's been sitting in that space all week and things are not shiny anymore and there's gaff tape on the walls and there's water bottles everywhere and that set dresser who doesn't have a second man because the producers were like, well, it's already established. We're fine. Uh, wind up becoming over overtaxed and, and way, way more stressed out. And the resets at the end of the night become much harder. And it can be, it can be really dehumanizing to, to have to deal with that for an extended period. It can be very problematic. Yeah. Well, interesting challenges on that Uh, guys. Thanks for, for sharing some of that, uh, uh, behind the scene perspective. The next film on our list is Mank production design, Donald Graham Burt, and set decoration, Jan Pascal. Sam, you've already said a couple of things about Meg. I don't know whether I, you want to lead us off or somebody else. I, I, yeah, I, I don't. I, 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 I obviously he is um, pound for pound a, a, a master auteur who has been delivering fantastic work for his entire career and is known as someone who is incredibly, incredibly design savvy and considerate in every element of um, of the visual craft. So that is a big caveat before I should talk David Fincher on this. I just, <laughs> I, it is, it, the movie was an incredibly beautiful love letter, 
uh, to his father and, um, and really, really um, cared for in approach. But I thought that the subject matter wasn't necessarily interesting enough for an exterior viewer to care for an extended period of time. And it felt more like an inside joke between him and his dad. Um, and so I think some of the trappings of the film that are easy to fall into is that it, um, there are other filmmakers who have explored similar territory and it's more engaging for the audience. Like it, it sort of felt like a, like a, a Cohen light, you know? Um, and in that regard, like, I just, I just wasn't engaged with it. That doesn't make it a bad movie. It just wasn't necessarily for me. Um, and I think that because of that, as beautiful as the film was, it was kind of wrapped up in itself for me. And I, I was just distanced from it. So I, that's the most sensitive way I can, I can badmouth it, if that makes sense. Regina, I got a question for you. Have you done a black and white film before? I haven't. I haven't. Um, I'm just wondering what sort of considerations would come into play for set deck. Well, I, I shouldn't say I haven't. We, I've done a Woody Allen movie where, again, like we shot a, a film inside a film. Mm. So the film that we were shooting was black and white. So you only saw like snippets of it. For me, I think everything looks better in black and white. You know, you don't see all the scratches on the furniture and, and you know, the little imperfections of everything. Um, what you do have to uh, realize in black and white are the different color tones. So like the grays, the blacks, the greens, the blues, how they're going to turn out on film. I love the way, uh, I should say, I like the way Mank looked. A lot of it for me, some of it was dark. A lot of the smaller little things in the background, what, what we usually see just kind of, you know, got lost. I don't know if it took it away. I wasn't really a huge fan of the movie. So like Sam, I'm not sure if that kind of took me out from uh, liking it even more. I'm not really sure, but. Um, it's also tough movies about movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, movies about movies are really hard either for people who make movies or people who have no idea how movies are made. And it's always hit or miss, you know, I, I think, I, I don't know if you guys remember that movie, State in Maine, the, the comedy, the, comedy about production uh what is it 15 years ago is it mammoth maybe yeah i um, think that's right it's a mammoth and i think that's wildly underrated i think that's a very funny movie about the business but i but it didn't it didn't land with audiences at all you know or uh, or the player obviously is another one it, yeah it's 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 a tricky one it, it is really it's it's for a black and white picture it's incredibly heavily saturated and and the darks are really dark but we're all also watching this thing streaming and the cutoff on the value set for um for darks is so much more narrow than it is for light tones it's very very hard to watch and fincher all of fincher's movies are really dark it's really hard right now until everybody's streaming 4k for us to have any latitude on the on the darker end of the spectrum so i would i would personally rather see this in a theater and and re-examine my feelings about contrast ratios but that being said like you know it's a little boring <laughs> so i don't know. I, you know you know what i do think though i think that this is an example of sound design actually hurting the picture because conceptually i love the idea that it sounded like a period film but it was just so heavy-handed that it was hard to engage with the dialogue so i found myself kind of losing interest just because i wasn't mm -hmm. i was having trouble paying attention to the audio track 
to, to use an analogy, I, uh, Mank struck me as a, a very pretty but glossy black and white photo, such as a, you know, a production photo from the time, and, mm -hmm. uh, which I think was the look they were going for. But as as a viewer, it doesn't pull me in as much as as the you know the richness, um, and in your case, you said oversaturation of uh, something like Ma Rainey, the the colors and the hues of Ma Rainey and the texture, uh, just even on a streaming on a on a TV, just pulled me right into the story. So, mm -hmm. of course, I'm Gary Oldman was uh, was pretty amazing though in Mank. He was. I mean, everybody's amazing in it. I, there's the problem is if you just, if you break that film down into any individual part, everybody did an incredible job bringing that movie together. I just think as a whole, it it's not any it it's not anything he made for any of us. He made it as a love letter to his dad, and he doesn't give a shit if if it, if we enjoy the process of watching <laughs> that movie or not. You know, nice work if he can get it. Yeah, no, he deserves it. Starting out with Mank, with the intention that they're going to recreate as if it was done in the 20s. You mentioned the sound. Um, there's uh, similar areas as well. What would be the considerations from the production design perspective that where would you put your head to say, oh, we're going to do this as if we were doing it in the 20s? How would it be a different approach than what you do today? Well, that's a, that's a tricky one because I think that... Um... For me, at least, uh, for my movie, which didn't get nominated, uh, um, the, I think that there's there are levels of intention that should be considerations when you're figuring out your methodology towards making the movie. And, and when you're dealing with period, you have the consideration of what that world looked like in the, in the period, but also when you're making a movie that takes place either in Hollywood or in an era in which there is mass media uh, documentation of that period, you also need to take into consideration what the final product of those things felt like too. So it was a little bit what we were talking about with Ma Rainey. I think there's, a, there's equal weight associated with what Hollywood looked like in the period, but also what movies looked like in the period. And you have to take both of those things very seriously because audiences have a subconscious expectation of what that, that world looks and feels like. You know? Well, the next movie on our list is also a period piece, News of the World, production design, David Crank, and set decoration, Elizabeth Keenan. This is the only one I have not seen and I heard it's fantastic. I heard, it, I heard it's really stunning. I'll jump it, I, it shot well. Um, it's lovely. Uh, I question why uh, it would be nominated because it takes place in the frontier West. And it seems to me your options from a production stand, from a production design standpoint are so limited. A wagon was a wagon. <laughs> there weren't a, a lot of choices in, that could go into that. And then there's so much just uh, where the set was basically the the natural surroundings. Is it is it as cinematic as uh, as uh, the the uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's Up in Sinclair movie? Which uh, one is there? That? There will be blood. No, 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 no. no. Okay. No. Well, I mean, maybe maybe they take yeah. into consideration building the 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 little ta the the town. towns or yeah. I'm sure that all goes into it um, of maybe why the production value. I mean, it, it, it 
looks good. It looks amazing. Yeah, it, it does. Um, but no, it, it's, I don't think it compares to, um, it's not like there will be blood. It's kind of different. Yeah. Regina, how do you feel about decorating something like that? I mean, it's, it seems like there's, I, you got I, one, you got one lamp lantern, you got one <laughs> type of curtain. I mean, that's all they had. Yeah, <laughs> but I don't know. For me, I think that would be fun. I love the old West. I love Westerns and that's something I've never done. I love horses. I love all that kind of thing, you know, stuff. So for me, that would be, it would actually be exciting. There are, there are a lot of Westerns that look fantastic, but I know, I know what you're saying, how it all kind of, you know, um, it is what it is, basically. Is that what, is that what you're That's basically what, you're what I'm stage saying. Stagecoach, yeah. a stagecoach, uh, a bar is a bar, uh, you know, how many oil lanterns can you get? And yeah, I don't know, for me, it would be exciting, like I said, but um, I've... I would love to work on something like that. Yeah. Absolutely. But uh as just as far as the choices go it seems like you're you're kind of backed into a corner of going with what um yeah. was reality dictated and, yes exactly because you have yeah. to go to the period and be correct and and um yeah what what are the choices you can't really... uh, in the frontier west yeah, yeah there were no choices yeah <laughs> but not to take away from it or or you know their work or um no yeah. It was it was beautiful. I enjoyed watching it, and it was a good enough story. But there definitely is a different, um, like this year's nominees. I feel are, are very different. Like you're saying, the the old west. Then we have uh, the father, which is contemporary and uses the space, you know, as kind of like the 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 tone of the movie and and the mood of it all. Um, then we have Ma Rainey, which is like this uh, really kind of bright. Um, period show and then we have mank which is black and white so you know voting on these movies are, it's 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 not easy yeah I, I not having seen uh news of the world my assumption is that based on grandeur and scope of design that mank will win but i would love to see a world in which the father wins in this, in yeah, this category yeah I, I totally agree I with agree. you yeah i agree yeah um if, if for no other reason that it, it's the, not just the most integral in terms of how design functions within the language of the movie, but also um, the most considered, you know, as opposed to problem solving, especially with period pieces, because inherently, and it's to what you were saying about what's appropriate for period, um, inherently, it's the, you're more a problem solver when you're de dealing with a period environment and you're also dictating what camera can and can't see. Um, and so your scope of, of world is limited only to what you're capable of doing before it's time to roll. Whereas with the father, I think that there's a, and there's a, a, a discourse that's occurring between the design of the movie and the movie itself. That's really interesting. Yep, totally agree. Well, before you make final picks, let's at least consider our <laughs> last nominee in this group. Uh, that goes to Tenet. The production design was Nathan Crawley and set decoration, Kathy Lucas. It's, uh, it's, it's definitely Nolan's brightest, visually brightest film in a while. Uh, I, there was, there, I, I will say this to its credit. Um, the the sci-fi related gack, and I say that lovingly, for the for the you know the transport system for going backwards and so uh, it was effective it didn't look supernatural it didn't look comical it didn't look um 
overwhelming. It was just subtle enough to look realistic. The glass tunnel thing was great. Mm -hmm. I thought that that was an effective way of achieving this thing in a real world, in a, a quote unquote real world way. I, the, the problem I think that plagues all of Chris Nolan's movies to date have, have always been that the first third is mind-blowingly interesting in terms of elevator conceit, like elevator pitch. It, it's, uh, he starts off with an amazing concept. Then the middle third always starts to disassemble that through the character missteps. And then the, the last third is always just gunfire. And so I'm left with this kind of longing for more of that first part of the movie but i but this whole movie was established in that third and i thought i thought it was great look great um and it's daytime and all of his other movies are nighttime so it was great to see stuff you know <laughs> um but it's a really pretty picture you know and and that it's a really really uh subtle conversation between production design and cinematography because those the, the two departments work probably better hand hand in glove than any of the other movies on the list i think um, there, there's definitely a synergy in, in the overall aesthetic and the way the aesthetic is being photographed that works really well. More so than uh, The Father? Uh, I think so. I think there, there are moments in, in The Father for me where, where the cinematography becomes pretty portraiture and it's not absolutely necessary for evoking story. You know, there, it's great to see empty rooms, especially as a production designer. I'm never going to argue with a shot of an empty room. But I think that there's, there was definitely a fluidity both in camera motion and interpretation of image with cinematography and Tenet that felt like it was more like just one continuous department between cinematography and production design. Get those damn meat puppets out of my set. Yeah, yeah, seriously. <laughs> Especially when they've been standing around for a week, that poor on-set dresser. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first movie I, I watched. Um, and... I mean, I think the sets were, were very good looking. Uh, but I mean, I, I think they did, for me, the production design did what it was supposed to do. It kind of just sat in the background and, and it didn't stand out. It played its part. And um, yeah, that's it's always not, it, a good thing. It, it, it's it, not soloing. It. That movie yeah. is not an art department solo in any capacity, which is very effective. Also, yeah. like, you have to keep in mind that presumably making a movie like that meant production meetings every day going over the same stupid shots over and over of like, okay, then it's going to be the 30 mil with the reverse. And then they're walking backwards and blah, blah, blah. It must've just been like, that was just a series of logistical gut punches for that art department to have to just weather over and over again in order for it to work. Because I think that um, it's more technical in terms of how the narrative functions and, and making sure that that's continuous and effective. So, so for, the, for, the, for the production design to not take the drum solo, it's like, great, God bless, it, it worked fine. Oh, can you imagine those production meetings? Oh my God. <laughs> and the boat goes backwards. It's like, okay, great. Yeah. <laughs> Sam, say a little more about the relationship between cinematography and what the camera's doing and production design. I, I, I'm interested in what you meant that this film achieved it a sort of a hand-in-hand -hand approach versus on a level father. versus some of the other films. Well, I think it's it's for me it's less of a, a specific uh, guideline and more of just a sense of how the movie's flowing. Uh, what I mean by that is like in the father, there are moments where I'm like, oh, that's a pretty shot, and and then there's a there's a a kind of 
critical end of me that's going like, well, if I'm thinking about that shot being pretty, then I'm not, then I'm not, I'm not believing this fiction anymore. Cause now I'm thinking about the process of the movie. And so, uh, especially when you have a cinematographer that's participatory, if you're establishing the camera in the space as character, uh, like he's in a room by himself and there is no perspective associated with it. It's a very tricky balance to not, not break the narrative fiction with the audience. Um, and so I think that in Tenet, it's very effective because you're being, uh, you're being espoused with just this, you know, pseudoscience drivel for an hour about, um, you know, the end of the world being the beginning of time, whatever. And, um, and there's, there is an immense amount of fluidity in camera movement. They're not just handheld shots, but there's, there are there are uh, heavily choreographed sequences in which camera is moving in and out of spaces during action, and for you to watch this as an action movie with a heady thirty minute uh, concept, and also um, for there to be all of this kind of dynamic movement in and out of space, for you to not be thinking about that when you're watching it, and also not to be questioning the fact that it's like a time travel box in the middle of a room, it's very effective, you know, and, and there's a subtlety that I think is working in which those two departments are, are in perfect synergy. In The Father, when a, when a wall gets pulled and it reveals that you're in a different space or when there's a change in the relationship between the dressing or the color palette and, and his sense of, of space, it's being, it's being uh, the, the bell's ringing for the audience and it's very much being made, there's, there's a meal being made of it. Um, not to say that that's bad. I, I think it depends from movie to movie, but I think that there's definitely a delineation between um, the design elements in that movie and what the camera's doing. Whereas in Tenet, it's just kind of, it's it's one cohesive thing, you know? It's this different kind of filmmaking. And For sure. uh, I, I think in Tenet, you're absolutely right. It's the beauty of that movie is you don't notice it. You don't yeah, notice yeah. the production design so much. You don't notice the cinematography so much because you're, you're in such competent hands with, with. Yeah, you're the totally. Director. Lost fiction. I yeah. think last but year, 1917 it, it, had some of that it too. Del- it defies just how difficult it is, as you said, to do that. All the production meetings and the, and the talk and the, the logistics that go into that. Um, it's almost the, the less you notice, the harder it is to achieve. Mm-hmm. Well, those are our five nominees. Was there anything that came out this year that was not on this list, but caught your attention from a production design perspective? Mm. I don't know what else I've seen this year that really blew me away. Yeah, I think the the efforts made in One Night in Miami to recreate that hotel were were shockingly accurate. That the based on um, photos of what it actually looked like, they they did a they did a bang up job that, that it looked exactly like that motel. Um, I think that that was kind of uh, unfortunately underrecognized. I think in terms of production design this year. Um, Can't remember what I've seen. Not a lot. <laughs> Me neither. Sam you know. can't really queue up Judas and the black Messiah. Cause that's, I can't movie, talk so about it. Yeah. <laughs> you two have to, will have to <laughs> say if uh, the shout out for that. If, if, uh, if you did see it. If you had a chance. Not yeah, but it's on my list. Uh, I did just watch watch Nomad Land, which was uh, uh, enjoyable and had, I I appreciate the production design on that. That's interesting on Nomad Land because so much of it feels almost documentary. What, what are the production design challenges for a film like that? 
I think, uh, I mean, from, from my lowly perspective, I think it would be, you know, knowing what to keep and what to, what to get rid of. Cause like you said, I think a lot of it was very much in its pl- shot in place. And so from, um, I don't know, from, uh, Sam and Regina's perspective, it would be, what do you keep? What do you get rid of? And what do you bring in guys? I, I, I haven't seen that yet. Um, I think it's, yeah, it's really just about kind of consideration for frame balancing at that point. I think there's more of a, uh, an intention in um, recognizing beauty in existing space in a scenario like that. So it's the kind of thing where it's like that garbage can that's 50 yards ahead. Let's just move it to the left two feet because the, the composition of this frame will be better. Um, so it's more of an onset hand, I think. But it really depends on the relationship with the filmmaker in that regard. Because there's definitely been movies like that where either of limited budgetary means or uh, the fact that it was a more naturalistic exterior stuff. I, I spent less time thinking about what the movie needed to look like and more time kind of just uh, being present and making sure that the, 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 the visual spirit of the movie was consistent for setups. A lot more time at the monitor, probably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, on a, on a movie like Ma Rainey, I, I, I doubt... Uh, well, that's, that's, that's an outlier because the whole movie's in that one space. But I, I would think that on, on these movies in which the aesthetic is more controlled, maybe Mank's a good example. I doubt that uh, the designer or decorator would be on set. Uh, they would probably be prepping um, or, or bouncing back and forth between office and, and tomorrow's location. Whereas I think with Nomadland, you probably had that designer at monitor 50 to 60% of the movie, you know. For sure. Well, thanks everybody for coming on today. Really appreciate you guys sharing your insights on these films. Uh, Sam, I did uh, enjoy the production design on Judas and the Black Messiah. I don't think with the expertise, I'm sure that when other folks get to see it, we'd talk about it, but uh, there's a lot going on there as well. Thank you. Um, you guys uh, stay safe out there and uh, look forward to seeing you again here on the show. Thanks again. Thank you. It was good to see you guys. You too. We should do, we should do this more safe. than once a year. <laughs> <laughs> it's nice to see people. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. I hope you're keeping up with our Oscar coverage. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. I really appreciate your feedback. You can send email comments to skid, S-K-I-D, at blowthelineoneword.biz. That's B-I-Z. Please rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us reach new listeners. And new listeners, the best way to prove previous episodes is at our website, blowtheline.biz. More than 70 episodes available. At some point, we might have featured one of your favorite shows. If you're on Facebook, you can find photos and other behind-the-scenes materials at Podcast Below the Line. And finally, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram. It's at Pod Below the Line. Thanks to Curtis Five for our music and John Juan for our logo. The logo is available on t-shirts, mugs, and stickers at redbubble.com. Once again, thanks for listening. Be safe out there.